Chief Miller is dedicated to featuring the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Chief Miller has a family of content creators who feature great people doing great things, making the fire service a better place. Make sure to follow along as Chief Miller creates, shares, collaborates, and features the special people who call themselves firefighters. Follow along on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller underscore. Like him on Facebook at Chief underscore Miller number one. And watch for all the podcasts featured within the Chief Miller media family. Make sure to check out chiefmillerapparel.com for all your fire service apparel needs. BSWUSA.com has done it yet again, gang. Hey, it's Jason, and today I want to introduce the new sound with this Shure SM7B microphone I just got from my friend Jamie at BSWUSA.com. It is an industry leader. It's been around for decades. And you know what? It adds accent to what I already have with my great MXL BCD1 mics in this Rodecaster Pro. So guys, again, as I told you, I started this with a mic and an app. And here I am a year and a half later adding some awesome new sound to the show. So this is what you can do if you want to do the same. Go check out bswusa.com and talk to my friend Jamie Singer about getting into a Rodecaster Pro or one of the Zoom boards. There are plenty of options and combos out there where you can get mics and a board at a price you can afford. Again, go check out my friends at bswusa.com. The K-Man Radio Show is proudly sponsored by some great firefighter-owned businesses. And we're going to shamelessly plug them here for a second, starting with AxeCaps.com. If you're looking to get into some great firefighter-made apparel, what about custom apparel from hats to shirts? What about the Can-Man apparel line? Go check out AxeCaps.com today. And Ian Sargent from SGTFireBags.com. If you're looking to get into a clean radio strap, what about a gear bag that protects you from the carcinogens that we're exposed to on a daily basis? Well, go check out SGT Firebags today and use CanMan for 10% off. And my brother, Herb Tyler from National Rescue Consultants. That's NRC.com. If you're looking to upgrade your education in the USAR world, go check out my brother, Herb Tyler at National Rescue Consultants. That's NRC.com. Get off your ass canners and get ready for some extreme tabletop exercises. It's time for the Can Man Radio Show. And now your fearless leader, the senior canner himself, Jason Liska. And it's a Tuesday night at 8.30, and are you listening to your favorite podcast this evening? Well, I hope you are, because welcome back to another great episode of the K-Man Radio Show. We're glad you're here, and we've got a very special guest this evening. Uh, I call him a mustache brother from another mother, but there's uh, there's something missing here, and yet it's very sad because, well, let me let me just go ahead and, and demonstrate why. I feel like we're, we're in a, a mournful period, so... I feel like we have to recognize the fact that 
my my uh, friend on the other end. I'll keep my hat off we 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 lost a great soldier in battle, and it was the mustache on this beautiful face that I'm looking at right now. We're gonna reflect momentarily on this. In a moment of silence, this day will live with us forever. And that being said, I want to welcome brother Basil Ibrahim to the show. Good evening, my brother. How are you? What's up, brother? What's up? You did not wait, man. You just freaking hooked me right, right in with a jab, man. You, you didn't think it was going to happen, though, did you? Uh, no, man. I expected that, you know. And honestly, I quite, I deserve it. But I'll blame it on my wife. So wait, there I, you go. I just met that beautiful woman, okay? And uh, you said, "How did you catch her off guard like that?" I don't understand what just happened. I'm like, I, I don't know. I said hi, and I, yeah. it, it, we, we talked about the must. She goes, "I just wanted him to shave it down a little bit." Dude, I've never seen her speeches like that. It was awesome. It was amazing. It was amazing. But then I got to meet the girls, and short of meeting your mother, I got to meet the whole Ibrahim family. It was great. Yeah, they all came in, man. They like your voice, dude. Well, and your mustache, probably. The mustache is impeccable. Thank you. But that's neither here nor there. The voice, depending on the day, no. But you know what? It's the family that matters. And you you and i both have big families in a sense i mean you you have your daughters i have my kids you have your wife very supportive of you and they're very supportive of your work in the fire service no doubt about that and um i say it a lot and i'll say it again and i'm not afraid to say it if you're not recognizing the people that lift you up to get you to where you're at today which is your family then shame on you for not doing it i'm not saying you in general but to all those out there who forget about the fact they're the ones pushing you that's fact man that's true so you know, we've been talking about this for what a year or so now. You longtime listener, first time caller in a sense. Welcome in. It's it's a wonderful thing. And and we we discussed in Georgia getting you on the show. We talked uh, many times before that about wanting to get you in here and open up about your life in the fire service and talking about your experiences, your accomplishments, your failures, the good, the bad in the fire service and you know, the, the things you and I've shared about, you know, our individual thoughts and perspectives on the fire service. But, you know, for those who have never met this young man, you know, he is a, a very, very uh, passionate instructor, uh, fire service leader. And he's been a leader long before he got his bugle. Um, he's been a leader since probably day one of walking into the service because he knew that passion was there right then. And, and if you you see that personality, you need to like gravitate towards it because that personality is going to help you succeed in the fire service and it's going to help mentor you. And I have no doubt that you had mentors ahead of you as much as you're mentoring the next generation of professionals coming in. But, you know, 17 years in this profession, you're just a, a hair behind me. And you came in as a volunteer. You were in Orange City where, you know, both of my kids ended as explorers or cadets with that, you know, with that uh, department and a great department. It is great little department tucked on the west side of Volusia County. You know, wonderful people there. Big family department. You did your time in Volusia County. You worked on the squad and then you went to OFD. But before we get to that part, let's talk about you in general. You came from the Ivory Coast and... You grew up here in Florida, I'm assuming, or did you grow up elsewhere before Florida? Well, I, uh, I grew up in the Ivory Coast. I moved here when I was 16. Uh, I came over here on a refugee visa. Okay. My country had a civil war, and uh, essentially they burned my high school down. So uh, everybody had to 
leave the Ivory Coast to go finish through high school and, you know, go to college or whatnot. Gotcha. So uh, I ended up in Florida because my, uh, my aunt had married an American and they moved, they lived in Florida, moved to New Mexico. So my mom got in contact with my aunt and said, Hey, can we send, uh, can we send me over, over here? And they were like, no, we don't really want you to have a Florida is great. So, you know, it kind of feels like Africa temperature wise, you'll be right at home. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm in, I'm going, I don't care. Send Let's do me. it. I'm ready. You know, in my mind, I thought I was going to Miami or New York City because that's all you saw on TV. Yeah. But I, I ended up in Deltona. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on here? This is not the yeah. Ivory Coast. <laughs> well, it's okay. No, man. So, but I, uh, I came over here and uh, I rented a, a room, a garage that was converted into a room from, uh, you know, some of my, uh, my aunt's friends that lived in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I worked i finished my senior year of high school to pay for the room i uh i worked concrete at night i would pump uh, uh driveways and stuff like that oh man uh, at night and uh then on the weekend i would work the pizza shop this is where uh, big bays was born i don't know if you i don't even know if you know about big bays no 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 i i've heard the rumors of big bays uh, yeah. I've heard the rumors. Now, now we could disclose who Big Bays is. We can share the the moments of Big Bays because you got Big J over here. So maybe Big J can turn into Little Bays again or Swole Bays. Who yeah. knows? We could talk uh, about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we can definitely talk about Big Bays. Big Bays is always right here in he your heart. Out, he, yeah, he comes out every once in a while. Right on. But essentially, man, that's that, man. That's how I, I came over here. And I, I uh, finished high school and I worked at a pizza shop. Uh, after high school, I wanted to be a pilot, but uh, after 9-11, uh, with me not being from here, and yeah. it was very difficult uh, to even get into the, the universities, and mm-hmm. I was broke, so I didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to uh, for education. So I got to uh, talk to some of the Deltona guys. I don't even really remember exactly who they were, but they, uh, they would come up to the pizza shop and then, and then I'm like, man, what are you, you guys are always happy and, you know, like, what's going on with this job, you know? And uh, they're like, you need to go to fire school. I'm like, whatever, man. <laughs> How much does that cost? They're like, hey, at the time, it was like 500 bucks or something. Like, it was nothing. It know? was cheap back like, in the day, yeah. It was super cheap, man. And I'm like, that's it? I'm like, you can make a living off of that? I said, yeah, you're not going to be rich, but it's a good living. I'm like, cool, man. I'll go there. And then they're like, hey, Orange City does a volunteer thing. Because I asked them about, you know, riding along. And mm-hmm. they're like, go to Orange City. So we went that route. And I started volunteering over there. And I'm like, dude, this is awesome, man. I get paid for this? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm in, man. It's like, so, like being at Disney World every shift. You know, you got the, the wonders in front of you, all the great amusement park rides, and the opportunity to play in the coolest or with the coolest toys ever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's it, man. And that's it. The American dream right here, man. So the fire department fell in your lap basically without even expecting it. And, you know, it obviously took because you sitting here today, 17 years later, um, you know, you went from Orange City to Volusia. And I'm pretty certain we crossed paths at times. I, I have no doubt when you were in Volusia. 
Um, and, and that being said, I don't know what led you to want to jump ship. Sometimes people look at opportunity outside of the agency that they're most comfortable in because they see opportunity. That was kind of my thing when I left Putnam to go to Lake. It wasn't that I had to leave. But opportunity for me elsewhere just seemed to be better. And it wasn't that it was a bad department I was leaving. It was just I needed to challenge myself and not be complacent and maybe do something different with my career. And so that's where Lake County came into play for me. But switching up from, you know, Volusia to OFD is a a big, big order. It's a tall order to go from one department like that to a city department with 120 plus years of experience behind it. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, I, I did not want to leave. I had no, I've never wanted to leave Volusia. Yeah. I honestly didn't even know much about anything outside of the Volusia departments. You know, I, uh, I got lucky. I got assigned early on to uh, Station 35 rather than Lake Helen on the squad. I had a great crew. We ran a lot of calls, you know, we were on a squad, so every fire, on that side of the county, we would go to all the pin job extrication, mm-hmm. I-4. Uh, granted, very short staff, so you're doing a lot of work by yourself and not necessarily doing it the right way, but you're still getting your crap load of experience. Oh, yeah. And then I, I really enjoyed working for Volusia. I have nothing bad to say about Volusia. The, the reason why I even took the test over there is uh, because of the mandatories that we were having. Oh, yeah. Yep. Granted, I would work overtime. I would work 48, 24, because one, I love working. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like, honestly, it's my hobby. I mean, I mean, it's what do you do for fun? I do firefighting. That's what I do for fun, <laughs> right? My, yes. my friends in Orlando call it LARPing. They call me a LARPer, like live action. Role, role player. player. You're, you're a LARPer. I get it. Player. Yeah, when I was on the heavy, that's why the, my my uh, my teammates were calling me. Oh, are, are you going LARPing today? I'm like, yeah, I'm going LARPing. You know, like <laughs> teaching or uh, training for competitions or whatever. Uh, but they started mandatoring me, and then my wife was pregnant with yeah. my oldest at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, it's cool right now. I work all the time, but man, like I see all my other coworkers getting mandated, mandated. 48, you know, every day you go to work, you plan on being a 48, especially if you were a lieutenant medic. Yeah. I had just gotten, uh, I passed the lieutenant's test. I just gotten the, the promotion over there. So I was a medic, TRT. So there wasn't a lot of us that so you were getting mandated all the damn time. Yeah. And uh, my friend, Ed Zona, I'm not sure if you know Ed Zona. No, I don't. Great guy, man. Great yeah. guy. Yeah. His buddy, Trent Johnson, was a lieutenant for Orlando. Okay. And, and as when I was like, I'm going to test for Orlando, man. It's a lot more money, better department, mm-hmm. this and that and the other. And, uh, you know, I'm like, well, what the hell, man? I'll go take the test with you. I, I, I had no intent of leaving. Honestly, none. And the only reason why I actually passed that Orlando test, that written test, is because we had just taken the – officers test in Volusia and I was in the books. So you were ready. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was in the books already. So it, it was the same type stuff, you know, minimum standards type questions and paramedic stuff. So I'm like, I think there was like 2000 people taking the test at the time. I didn't oh, yeah. think I was going to pass man, you know? And then 
I'll pass. And I'm like, holy crap, dude, I'll pass. And he's like, yeah, I didn't make it. I'm like, damn it, Eddie. All right, well, I guess I'll just go take the practical. Yeah. So took the practical, went through the whole process, and then I still couldn't believe it. And even the, up till the day, Chief Miller at the time was the chief of Orlando, mm-hmm. called me and gave me that conditional offer. I was like, shit, man. I got to like, do this. I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know if I want it. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about it until I got that phone call. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, then you know, after that, obviously I took the offer, yeah. but then I was still calling around asking people, Hey, do, do I need to make the move and this and that? Because I mean, I was a big fish in a small pond type deal in Volusia. Yeah. Uh, they kind of gave me the freedom to do everything. You know, I was on the squad, good working with good people, eager and all, but then it's like mandatory. And I just started thinking about, you know, retirement and all this other stuff. Uh, and I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. What the hell? You know, you so, got, you got to look at the quantity or the quality over quantity in that aspect, because yeah, the money's good. The opportunity's good. Um, but in the end, what is it taking away from you at the same time? Cause it's taking something from you. I, I, I mean, I look at it and this still happens today in the modern day fire service We're we're seeing in the departments and, uh, agencies across the state of Florida that are dealing with mandatories for their crews daily staffing shortages and issues like that. Um, you know, I, I think about when I tested for Lake, I think we had close to 400 plus people or thereabouts applying um, and, and it seems like the, the numbers over the years of people interested in fire jobs in general has gone down for, you know, and this was for like 12 or, or 15 positions in Lake County. We had like over 400 back in 2008 when I tested and I could be off a little, and you talk about the numbers for Orlando, you talk about, you know, 2000 people I've heard 1800, 1700 at times. And, you know, I, I wonder, I look back at over the, the last 10 years, 15 years in the fire service, where a lot of people were just deterred from wanting to come into the fire service because many departments just weren't offering that stability, even though the paycheck was there, there was no incentive to grow unfortunately. And, and, you know, we lost a lot of people in the fire service to go to other jobs, you know, in other departments because of the pay being better. And some regretted it, some appreciated it and thrive in that department. Um, but like you, me, when I left and, and when I look at uh, the department I work for now and the blessing it is, you know, you're right, you know, in a department like, uh, like, like we have a lot of latitude, a lot of, you know, opportunity. You know, we, we run small engine companies. We do multitasking. You have to be a jack of all trades. But if you're not great at one thing, you've got a resource right nearby you can tap into to help you. And I think that makes a, a very well-rounded firefighter overall. And I think that helped prepare you for Orlando because I know the Orlando culture, it's a beautiful culture, but it's a different culture from a lot of departments around it. It sure, it sure is. It, took, it was a big adjustment coming in over there. Uh, without, we're not going to mention names, uh, on this one, but I'll give you an example. And the new hire Academy, when I got hired with Orlando, uh, we were, we started one of the engine week, I don't know, pulling lines or whatever the, the engine ops we were doing that day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they usually send all duty engine companies to come out to assist with, with the, uh, the Kyle Griffin training mm-hmm. and that particular engineer was setting up the rig and stuff. And then he was tasked with establishing his water supply to get ready for the evolution. So 
me thinking I'm going to be proactive and I'm a new guy, I'm going to assist him in getting the water supply. I'm like, I want to get that stuff for him before he even looks at it, man. Yeah. You know, so I grab that four inch, you know, I, I hook it up to uh, the intake and I got my ass chewed, man. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he was like, what? This is my engineer. Are you an engineer? This and that. And I'm like, holy crap, man. <laughs> like, in my mind, I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to be a good new guy here. Yeah. The hook, the hook, the, you know, the LDH in the intake for you, man. I, sorry. You know, it, uh, it's, it was like that, dude. Well, cause you're not and supposed not, to know that. No, no, you're not supposed to know that, man. And th- that's a little bit extreme, you know, but damn, that's, that's the thing. Everybody has a job and then, uh, you need to be really good at your job. Yeah. And that's it. That's your job. You know, but you came from a department where you were potentially going to drive, ride in the right seat, or be the back seat, depending on if the staffing levels were there. So you had to learn how to do all three roles at one time because that's just the way it is and was and, well, still is today. And that doesn't make it bad. But when you do go into a department where things are regimented and specific and, yeah, you're not driving that truck until you're vetted to drive that truck. You're not sitting in that right seat till you're vetted to sit in that right seat. You earn your role in that next spot. You know, I've talked to friends in other departments who um, have trained some of our guys who have left to go to the bigger departments and in the different departments it's like you know our guys walk into that department and and they they are humble i will say this because i hear good things but they know more than the average recruit walking in the door and and a lot of instructors are honestly impressed by that when they see a candidate coming from my department because they are ahead of the curve and that was you that was you essentially well i i've said it before I, i didn't say it then i can say it now but uh if you take a four-year volution guy, a Lake County guy, whatever, mm-hmm. right, and then a four-year Orlando fireman that has never had a job anywhere else but Orlando, that Lake County guy, that volution guy is going to run something around it. Now, overall, overall, yeah, that Orlando guy is going to be a better engine fireman. He's going to know how to stretch better. Okay. You know, uh, but to the specific task of the right job fireman. Sure. You know, overall, that that Lake County, Volusia County guy, Deland guy, these guys that are doing all the people's job at once, they're more well-rounded, you know? Yep. It's not a bad thing. It, it made me appreciate Orlando more. And, and if you adapt to it, and like you did, okay, because you had to adapt to it, um, you did become that good right jump seat. You did become eventually that good driver. And now sitting in the new role is Lou on Engine 1 downtown. And that was a huge step for you. That was a very big step. And, and as soon as you get it, what happens? You go out because you got hurt. Yeah, yeah that's, that's life, man. And, you <laughs> know, it, it, it's, it's interesting because... You know, people who know you know you as the, the the passionate, strong, vocal fire leader. Okay, the one who um, leads a cadre for the recruits. You know, and and has a, a wonderful group of peers training these new guys coming into Orlando. Um, you work with the smoke diver cadre as well because you are a smoke diver. Um, you are very passionate about RIT 
and I have listened to your podcast. Um, I have talked to you personally about your thoughts on RIT, um, your perspectives on leadership, and and these again are things we'll get to. But I want to delve into your first ninety days, if we can, or at least where you're at right now from the transition from engineer to single bugle. And and the humility, I think, in a sense, that goes with the new position and and the and the learning curve as well. Yeah. Well, uh, right now I just passed my my six month as an officer again on paper. Okay. But like you stated, three days after I got promoted, I I hurt my back and I had to get surgery and I was out for three months. So I've been an actual company officer working company officer for three months. And uh, it's uh, my, my old lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Cole Jesse there, I would give him a lot of shit. We were, we're friends, but I'm like, you better relax, man. Like, he was worried about some of the things I thought was a bunch of BS. And like, dude, this is just like BS stuff, man. He says, yeah. it's different when you wear that white shirt, man. It's different. You don't understand. You'll understand. And and he was right. Yeah, he was right. I, I even I told told him, I'm like, dude, you're, you're right. It's a little bit different when uh, when you're wearing that shirt. But uh, dude, I really feel that if uh, you have a good crew that's that's willing to to train, and you show humility, let them know that. It's not because I have a white shirt or a bugle that I know everything yeah. that I'm better than you or any of that. You let them know that you're human and that we are going to work together as a team. We're going to mess up as a team. Mm-hmm. We're going to succeed as a team. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, man. It's, it's the teamwork and being accountable both ways. Set your expectations those are my expectations and then let him prove you that give him the opportunity to prove you that they belong there. They want to be there train together and you need to hold yourself accountable as well. I have a lot of work to do, man, on the, on the engine side of it that we've discussed before. I'm I'm not a good engine guy. Uh, However, I'm an engine guy now. You are in a lot, a lot of hours, whether it's on the internet researching stuff or talking to some of my buddies from Fairfax County, Seattle, all the way down to South Florida on, Hey, what do you guys do? What do you think I should do here? What about here? All right. I took all that stuff. All right, guys, we need to try it today. Uh, But yeah, man, it's, it's good. You talk about YouTube, but we also have a pretty big circle of friends together that we can tap into at any time if something happens and it catches us off guard. And, you know, it's wonderful to have that because when you put that shirt on with that first bugle on it, people can go one of two directions or three, depending on how you look at it. They can be middle of the road and never achieve anything or do anything great. They can be completely incapable of performing the job and micromanage people for the rest of their careers and be a cookie cutter behind the, the uniform. Or they can be a passionate leader who you know makes mistakes, who accepts those mistakes, who owns up to anything that happens within the crew that protects their crew um, and, and really looks at opportunity 
for what it is, whether, you know, it's, it, it's to train, it's to grow together, it's to learn together. And, and the most important thing I think a lieutenant needs to have is, is a network of people. And that goes for um, even those aspiring to become lieutenants, okay, those aspiring to become captains or whatever rank is the first level for your department, um, even at the engineer level. Find a mentor, find a resource that you can tap into that can help you develop your skill set, that can help you achieve that goal and help you grow in that position. Because if you don't see the fact that it's growth and that growth continues, whether you stay at lieutenant, it's going to continue. Whether you go to battalion chief, it's it's going to continue um, or not. Rather, it's going to continue or you just stay as a firefighter in the back seat for the rest of your career. You have to acknowledge you're growing your career until the day you retire. So you need to continuously expand on that knowledge. Absolutely. For sure, man. For sure. We're lucky, really lucky where, where I'm at. My, uh, my district chief, which is our battalion chief. Yeah. We, uh, I have a, a couple downtown men and they are absolutely awesome resource. Uh, Walt Lewis, Chief Lewis, Chief McClellan. Uh, uh, I mean, I can go on with a couple of the other ships cheap as well, man. I mean, they're just, their they're door is open. They're, they're, they don't micromanage. They, first day, you know, Chief Lewis sat me down. He said, those are my expectations. Do you have any questions about anything, anytime? This, I'm, I'm here for you, you know? And then says, as long as you do the right thing, that's verbatim what he said. And I quoted him that on the call we had the other day, actually. Yeah. Uh, but he says, Basil, as long as you do the right thing, even if, if you go against policy, I will always have your back. Amen. What else do you want? What else do you want from a supervisor? You know, from a, from a from chief level? Nothing. You, you can't ask for more than that. Um, yeah. And it demonstrates that they understood what it meant to look, uh, to come up the ranks. They understood the process and they didn't forget where they came from because someone ahead of them instilled that mentality in them. And that's important as well. They understood that, okay, look, the book is one thing, but sometimes you have to go outside of the book and look at other options to fix the problem. And you've got to consider the risks. You've got to consider, you know, the process itself and the outcome. And you do what you have to do sometimes to make things work. And I'm not saying go out there and be reckless and a cowboy because then it's harder to justify, but you have to take the overall look at the calculated risk assessment of the situation and and you know what even if you stepped outside of policy i'll tell you what those chiefs who support you they are the ones that help gravitate you you should gravitate to and help levitate you that is they help levitate you to success absolutely and, and this is uh something that i have against uh sops you know sops are great but if you only know your sops mm-hmm. you're the farm. You're not able to just think on your own uh, when you have those hybrid type situations. Yeah. SOPs cannot cover every situation out there. Nope. It cannot. It cannot cover that. And so you, you have you have to make, like you said, educated and calculated decision based on your knowledge, your training, data, and SOPs. Yep. All right. And and in some people are just like black and white. SOP says this. I'm gonna do that. No, that doesn't work. You can't be a robot and work here. No, it doesn't uh, work. And being dynamic and able to uh, to mold to whatever the situation is, whether it's different crews, personalities, different type of calls, it's a must for sure. You know, you know, well, one bad day and your passion for RIT 
Um, there's no doubt that ties into Smoke Diver in a sense, in a way, because you know what you do with the RIT team now and the Smoke Diver cadre as well. But one bad day, the class that you teach at OFC, and now also the lecture that you go across the state and, and give to fire departments about RIT. Um, let's talk about your love for RIT. Let's, and I know you've mentioned this before, Cigar City Fools. I posted on the Facebook page for the Can Man. Um, if you haven't watched it, it's, uh, what, about 20 minutes of just down and dirty, just really in good talk about RIT with the brothers from Cigar City. Um, but I want to hear you... And I want to hear what your passion for RIT is and what it means and where it came from. All right. So this, again, just like the fire service, RIT kind of fell into my life. I didn't decide to go be passionate about RIT or any of that. It was all really, it all started with the competition team. Mm -hmm. Before I even began the smoke diver, the smoke diver even training, for smoke diver. Yeah. But coincidentally, what it was the same year, mm-hmm. but Chief Eddie Griffin, who's retired from us, uh, they had an Orlando team for the RIT competition at Fire Rescue East. And I, you know, I was a two-year junior guy over there. I was on an engine, and I'm trying to get to a truck company uh, in Orlando, so I'm trying to get as much extracurricular activities possible under sure. my belt. Uh, so I'm like, I'm just going to join that competition team and go from there and see how it goes. Well, that turned into learning about all the truck skills, because if you think about it, RIT, what, what is RIT? RIT does, it's not just be standing outside with your hook out there. You know, RIT is all functional on the fire ground, you know, force entry, ladders, uh, tech rescue. Uh, there's a good suppression component, if you think about it, yeah. also sometimes with, with RIT, you know, so you're, exercising all these skills in the RIT competition. Uh, and then that just made me such a better fireman. And then with Chief Griffin, if anybody knows Chief Griffin, that guy is a savant in the fire service. His brain is not even normal. So he would just, he expects his bar was way above anybody else, anybody else that I know in the fire service. Yeah. And so he didn't just care about us going through that, that maze or whatever the other people would call it for the competition team, but he expects us, us to know why we're doing this. And what if that scenario wasn't that way? What's the other place? So we spent countless hours on duty, off duty training and doing research on uh, NIOSH reports and oh, May yeah. days and all. So this is how my actual RIT love came about. Uh, I started diving into the history and then uh, the data and learning about line of duty deaths and, and all of that. And uh, once I got assigned to Heavy Rescue, uh, a year after that, then our primary function on the fire ground on every fire was RIT. Mm-hmm. So, so then there you go. And I'm more RIT, you know? So just kept perfecting the skills and RIT and then smoke divers that same year. I went to smoke divers. Yeah. Uh, most of that stuff was high intensity, high paced, uh, a lot of survival stuff, learning about your air consumption, learning yeah. about, uh, your mindset and all. And, uh, and, uh, that's, that's how this whole RIT love came about. Uh, and I asked uh, 
I asked uh, Lieutenant Negri and JJ Cassetta and all these guys at the fire conference. I'm like, would you guys be opposed if uh, we started a, a rate class here? And initially, I was helping out with the VBS class with uh, all the A shift guys, Mike and Dirk, and all the bulls over there. And initially, they said, no, you're, you're not going to do rate class. You know, you're too, too new. Yeah. No problem. So they, they shoot me off and said, okay, you're going to teach a, a two-hour ladder class as part of the truck on MLs. No problem. So Matt McGee and I went over and then we started teaching ladders. Uh, and then the year after that, we asked again, can we do a red class? Uh, and then they gave us a four-hour red class that, that year. Nice. So we, uh, we came up with a little curriculum. And then from there, man, we used work just phenomenal and we just kept you know growing it growing it adding it perfecting it listening to the reviews and uh it's still not perfect you can always make everything better but the feedback that we're getting is is just awesome it's just realistic training well it's it's it's, not, it's nothing crazy it's it's basic but it's realistic yeah. on the and it's work realistic work without training start. Well, it's one of the first classes uh, in the handful of very, very popular classes at OFC that that sells out very quickly. It's almost impossible to get in if you're not like right there at the Ticketmaster booth. You know, back in the day, if you remember the old Ticketmaster booth, you had to stand in line for two days to get into it. No, you got to be the first one on the mouse to click and get it. If you're not careful, you're going to miss out in just a matter of seconds how quickly it'll sell out, you know? Yeah, it's it's uh, that VES is usually the first class that sells because it's a it's a great class. Oh, absolutely! Live fire, live fire attracts a lot of people. Yes, uh, but uh, usually our class is the second one that sells out right away. Uh, but it's just I don't know why, but we just try to make it as realistic as possible. This last year, we had four people that have taken our class three. Years in a row i almost told them i'm like hey man like what's the deal here you know like <laughs> make room for other people you can come out and help yeah. us if you want man you want to play come play but let other people do it every time i ask a question like i don't i knew it it's All like right, man. leave space for the next generation to come in come on man you've been you've been doing this 10 years in a row now come on we got five other guys that can take these spots right now but what's what's great about it is that uh we get feedback all the time for yeah. departments or individuals that sends us emails or, or you know comments or texts and like, hey, I just changed my entire RIP cache based on the class. So we just changed our RIP SOPs because of this, or we just got a just got an email from the uh, the guy who taught the class, the presentation in Pasco County. Yeah, and he sent an email and says, hey, I scored number one on my lieutenant's tactics. They had a risk scenario for me and I use the tactics that we discussed. I'm like, dude, that's awesome, man. I'm happy for you. So that, just that positive feedback is, is just awesome. And it, it makes it worth it, you know? Hell yeah, uh, it does. Hopefully we'll never get, uh, I don't want a real major emergency to happen, but it'd be cool to get a call say, hey man, the tactics or the packaging or whatever we discussed, man, actually made a difference for real out there, you know? You know, you, you talk about NIOSH reports, and I have no doubt that you've read many. You've studied them, and I'm certain that um, 
they've all had an impact on you because of the outcomes, obviously, if you're not sure uh, for those listening what a NIOSH report is, then you go to cdc.niosh, uh, I believe, .gov, and um, you're going to see um, the end-of-life reports, basically, the meaningful documents that uh, are comprised of the AARs, the studies, the um, reports from the fire marshals for the states, the departmental reports as well, um, and they all share commonalities as to you know, the loss of life. And, and it's our brothers and sisters in those documents. And what they represent are a lesson for future firefighters, current firefighters, and aspiring leaders, I think, to pay attention to. Um, I plug this, and I don't want to say plug, but I, I compel people every class I teach, NIOSH. You got to get in NIOSH. My probies, when they come to my station every shift, NIOSH, they're in NIOSH. Um, you come to the fire college, take a class with me. You're presenting a NIOSH report because that is going to be an opportunity for you to stand in front of your peers and talk about and open that dialogue about the NIOSH report itself and the five common threads or themes that align with it. And I'm going to butcher them a little bit, but you're talking about the failure to utilize the SOPs properly, SOGs, failure to do a 360, lack of communications, lack of training, lack of foreseeing things outside of the unexpected and, and extraordinary circumstances. But that is a huge deal. And Absolutely. I had to hit on that because you mentioned it and that, that just, that that's the light bulb in me when I talk about NIOSH. I mean, I'm certain that you have learned so much from those NIOSH reports. Absolutely. And it's not just to put the blame on, okay, oh, well, that, that firefighter died because of this or because of that. That's not what it's about, but let's learn from the errors that happened or the accident that happened on that, that call and that scene to try to prevent it mm -hmm. uh, on our end. You know, that way, you know, that fireman uh, didn't die for, for nothing, you know. What, uh, what's another ex excellent resource uh, is Project Mayday. Oh, yes. On, uh, on Abbott. Absolute priceless uh, resource. There's, the latest version came out in March there with the new updates, the new data. And it's firefighter friendly. It's a big, big report. You know, it's about 300 pages, but it's firefighter friendly. Not, not a lot of writing, a lot of, a lot of colors and a lot of drawings. It's, it's an easy read. It's it attractive really for guys and, like you and me, in other words. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Well, you're a smart guy. For stupid people like me, it's, it's easy read. I don't, I'm not a big reader, but, uh, it's a good read. The information that, that there you can you can relate uh, you can relate to it, man. Now, not everything is gonna affect your department the same way, but it's very important, I think, to learn from other people's failures or successes. Yeah, and then bring that back. And what would you do in that situation? How would your agency react in in those shoes? You know. And just analyze it, man. We don't get the opportunity to have, you know, a million fires a year, you know. So I try to, I try to do as much studying from other people's jobs, and uh, try to bring it back. That's the truth. We don't, we don't turn and burn like the days of old. I mean, obviously, technology, uh, advancements in prevention practices, and and many other factors play a role into why we've seen. Uh, obviously a decline in some cases. Uh, I mean, 
people unfortunately still perish in fires. And we're not just talking about our brothers and sisters. We're talking about those who um, are trapped inside those buildings. And one of the concerns I have as, as a leader in the fire service is when I hear about um, crews failing to, to get in and doing their job. You know, we, we talk about um, searchable versus survivable, you know, Brother Sean Duffy and, and Pablo. And uh, you talk about the class they teach and, and the importance of understanding, studying your building, your signs, your symptoms, so to speak, as if you were doing it as an assessment, as an EMT and paramedic, that makes your decision on where you're going next tactically. And we talked about the fact that in some cases, you know, we as a culture, as a service, and even our leader our leadership, our cultural uh, norms don't align with always passing down knowledge or getting out of our comfort zones of doing it one way versus expanding and looking at other opportunities to grow. You can't walk that line of the cookie cutter and expect to get the job done the right way every time. And, and that's something I've said before, too. You can't treat every structure fire as the same because it presents a hazard unlike the other house you were in maybe a year ago. And you might have, you know, you're, you're in a totally different circumstance, totally different situation. So are we failing to teach our generation, our next generation, our incoming firefighters, and even those who are on the verge of becoming leaders today, what it means to call an audible and how to make that decision? I, I, I think some departments are, absolutely. Uh, I, I try not to... Monday morning quarterback, a lot of the stuff I see on the news, it's hard, especially when you see guys just hanging outside, not doing anything, like they posted a video, not to this last week of a fire and your house is on fire, the neighbor is like, he's in there, he's in there, and the guy's just nonchalantly going out to the rig. Is he in this one? Is he in that one? Doesn't even have his air pack on. Yeah. It's hard not to start talking crap about that guy. It really is. But is it that person's fault? Is it his agency? Is it his senior fireman? Do they even know about, do they know any better? But how can you not know better? I mean, you know what I mean? I do. You, you have to, if you're in this job, you really have to, if you're in this job and then your department is not providing aggressive training or aggressive tactics you gotta go outside your agency yeah. that doesn't make him bad necessarily because i'm sure there's politics involved and tradition and history and yeah. maybe there's a line of duty death in the department that's you know, something we don't know about mm -hmm. however you you have to like you said take the blinders off and then it, it, look to the right to the left how are my neighbors doing okay all right, well, can I take that and adapt it to my department? Go to conferences. Uh, that study that Brian Brush just did, man, Firefighter Rescue Survey, freaking yep. amazing, amazing data. I mean, it's fact. It's not somebody's opinion. It's Those are hard facts, right? They're numbers. It's yep. not somebody's opinion. We're not just talking shit out of our ass. These are, see, I care. I said I was going to Ah, you know what? There's slips everywhere. Just let it go. Let it go. Move but, forward. We, we are making rescues out there. We as we a fire service. And we need to give them, the citizen, the visitor, the public, the most chance 
possible. And, and how do you do that is by being prepared. And how are you prepared is by training. Yeah. If your department doesn't provide that, you need to go get that on your own. It's sad to say, but that's true. I mean, even, I'll, I'll say it, Orlando, great department. I love working there. We train our ass off. Mm-hmm. We don't fly fire like we used to or like the old generation. If I'm going to wait, how long am I going to wait to have the giant high-rise fire? How long am I willing to wait? Um, especially when you're downtown. My, my point, exactly. No, I'm not. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to go. I'm going to go take classes yeah. on my own. I'm going to go to, and those are shameless plugs. I don't work for any of these companies, but I want to go to HROC. I want to go to FBTN. I want to go to conferences where they provide real fire training. You know, our own conference, Orlando Fire Conference, great engine classes, a Fort Lauderdale Expo. I want to go out there and then take classes in realistic uh, situations so that I can experience the most realistic all possible. If you just sit on your butt and wait, just wait for the experience to come at you, it's not going to happen. You're going to have to go and get it out there, man. And, and that's just the way I feel about training, man. You, you, you have to be prepared. And then people use the word safety as a crutch for doing the job nowadays. And, and that irritates me to no end. You know, oh, this is not safe. Well, why is it not safe? Is it not safe because you're uneducated and you're not, you, you don't know how to read the building, you don't know how to pop that door, you don't know how to control the flow, you don't know how to mask up real quick, or, or is it unsafe because it really is unsafe, you know, fully involved uh, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, you know what I mean? I do. So, so the, the term, the safety, the safety culture, man, is becoming something that is irritating. And I'm not against safety. I'm not against safety. But, you know, the best way to be safe in our, in our service is to be good at your job. That's the best way to be safe. Damn. You want to be safe, be good at your job, know your job train that's the best way to be safe i couldn't have said it any better that was uh and i'm gonna slip that was fucking amazing right there the best way to be safe is to be educated at your job i mean where where do you expand on that you've got a recruit class right now right you've got uh or did they just finish up no no they're 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 in week four or something like that they got six more weeks how many times has that been impressed upon them the importance of it their level at their role you know, if you're going to be safe, be educated at your job. Well, I can tell you that every time I'm there, they hear all that stuff that we're talking about here. So uh, a couple of times a week, for sure, on my end. Uh, but you, you, Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, finish, please. Uh, it's a very, very, how can I say this? You have to be very careful nowadays in society on how you address things and uh, how you handle things. Yes, you do. Just, just because of the political era, uh, lawyers, feelings, all of the above. Yeah. All right. Uh, everybody's uh, fair and equal and truthful and all of that. So it's, it's, it's a lot harder than, than I guess it used to be to passionately express the importance of you need to be good at this job. This is not just your traditional Monday to Friday job where if you fuck up, everything is fine or 
you know, no, if you mess up here, somebody gets hurt, somebody dies, or you get hurt, or you die. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And people don't understand that unless it's happened to you. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, it, it, that, that's true, man. At the end of the day, even me, even you, at the end of the day, we're all a little bit selfish. Whether we want to admit it or not, that's true. That's the fact. Uh, and if if something isn't going to affect you to some degree, sometimes you just don't prioritize it, if, if that makes sense. No, it does. Uh, you don't think about the bigger picture in a lot of ways. Correct. And, and this is why I really like being part of the new hire process, whether it's the, the PT and the new hire training, because I like to get these guys coming in, these guys and these gals coming in right when they're new. With Orlando, they may not be new in the fire service, but I want to give them my two cents right then and there uh, and tell them that, hey, maybe when they get out there, they may hear all this negative stuff or this or that, but I try to, I try to keep them on the, on the straight arrow every time I'm there, man. For the most part, the people that come to us, they, they want to be there. They want to train. They, they're eager. They, they, they get it. They get it for the most part. But if they make mistakes, you're not there to eat their lunch. You're also there to course correct and teach them how to get it done right. 100%. 100%. It's all about education in that phase. And even later on, I mean, I, I came I came to conclusion that with the political climate that we're in, we're not in the business of firing people. No. I, I, I used to be very strong-minded on people that we hired that I, Basil, didn't think were qualified to work here. Well, Basil's not the fire chief, nope. and Basil is not the city manager, and Basil is not the lawyer, okay? Yeah. So at the end of the day, I tell these guys, and that's part of my, my speech when I, I meet them, I'm like, welcome to the family, all right? You are my family, all right? But right now, you're like the stepkids. Yeah. I want to make you my real kids. We're going to adopt you one day, but right now we're fostering you to get you into this mindset, this culture in a sense. I love that. And then I, well, I tell him, we're going to test you. There are standards. I want nobody to have that quick mentality. And uh, if you fail, it's all right. We're going to make you better. We're going to assist you in getting better. That's that's what we're here for. But me personally, if I was running the place at some point, if you were not meeting whatever standard a day, whoever a day is, come up with, yeah, you need to part ways. But that's you realistic. That that is realistic. However, I don't think nationally that's going on. Even in the fire academies, that is not going on. Okay, and this is where it starts. And really, if you want to talk about it, now we're sidetracking, you're getting on a topic that you're going to get me fired up about, but it is minimum standard. Okay. It's minimum standard to be a firefighter, right? Yeah. That minimum standard is, is a joke. All right? And especially, there's only a few colleges, a few academies in the state that I know of that are still 
holding the students accountable. Okay. Everybody else is worried about this money and pass rates. Yeah. That's all they care. Oh, we want hundred percent pass rates. We want, we want more money, more tuition. It doesn't matter. Bring them in, bring them in. No, man. No, we need to set the bar high from the get-go, set expectations, and then teach the students the right things. Not all the garbage they learn in the in the fire academies. What is that crap you teach them in the fire academies? You you bring up a good point because you know the difference. You can see it in the candidate in recruit school, pretty much day one, and how they carry themselves how they respond to direction, how they perform, uh, taking pride in their performance and how they accept feedback. You can tell the difference in where a candidate went to school and, and where they went to school. That is, I should say uh, that that definitely is reflective on the candidate um, and the school itself. You, you can tell um, where they come from for that particular reason you mentioned. Yeah, I, I think so, man. But being part of the, the new hire process, the new hire training, the new hire uh, PT, I think it's awesome, man. And it's good also. You become jaded sometimes with all the negativity. And I'm not talking about my fire department. We're, we're pretty, actually, we're blessed. We're an awesome fire department. But I teach a lot of places. I have friends a lot of places. And we, we all have stuff we bitch about and we complain about no matter what it is. Oh, of course it's we do. Really, it's really, really cool to see the spark in the new hires, they get in, they're not influenced by any any bad stuff yet. They're excited to be here. It's the first day they're freaking, you know, the you can see and feel their freaking excitement, dude. Yep. And that's like recharging, man. When I'm done with that, I'm like, man, I'm freaking pumped, man. I'm, I'm recharged, you know. It's energy. So, it's energy, yeah. man. It's a, it's a fucking ball of energy that comes flying at you. And it's like, holy shit, where did that come from? It's it's great, man. I love that. So let's talk about the next few years because you've got uh, this this bugle on your collar. You've got uh, the educational pursuits you're out there doing right now. Uh, the DJ is always busy spinning. You know, you're never stopping. You're always moving. Um, and one day you'll grow a mustache back eventually, um, hopefully, you know, because uh, with great mustache comes great responsibility. But in reality, what are we looking at over the next five years for you? And I think five years is a good projected date uh, time frame, uh, especially for you, because you're not done yet. You've got many goals ahead of you. Yeah, well, right now, honestly, I'm just trying to, to be good at my current role, you know, engine company officer. Uh, but realistically, my, my goal is to get back to a truck or yeah. To the heavy rescue. There's nothing wrong with having goals, uh, but that's that's my goal right now. I'd like to spend some time with uh, with the heavy rescue. That would be my ultimate goal. That was my main goal coming to Orlando. Be the heavy rescue lieutenant. That's got to uh, be a competitive role too. Uh, it is, man. It is, and uh, rightfully so. There's nothing wrong with that, but. Uh, Hopefully, hopefully one day, man. But, uh, you know, that's within the next five years. I'm probably still be a company officer. Uh, eventually, down the line, I'm going to take the district chief's test just for longevity reasons in case I, whatever, hurt my back again. Maybe they can have pity on me and put me in training as a district chief or something. You can't but, hurt. You can't hurt steel. You can't hurt uh, steel. Yeah, just well, say it. Well, 
See, that's the problem right there, man. We go, we go to sweat God. It's terrible. I had to say it though, because you know, we're, we're, we're all breakable. We're all bendable. It doesn't matter. We do end up somehow, some way this career will break us in one way or another, unfortunately, you know, but you know, following in the footsteps of uh, one of your mentors, Walt Lewis, you could be that district chief one day. Oh man. I, I don't think I can fill all these shoes, man. This guy is awesome. 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 We have a lot of really good leaders and mentors, man, in our departments, a lot of them. And it's, uh, it's good. You need that. You, you really need it. And, and I think that's something people need to remember as well. Every department has talent. Every department has passionate leaders. And I look at the, the, the group of talent, the group of passionate instructors in, in Lake, they are just beautiful human beings that want to do the very best for the fire service. And they love Lake County. And they could work at any department and adapt in that mindset and do the same thing there. But they're proud to be where they're at, just like you're proud to be where you're at in Orlando. They don't forget where they came from either. You know, some of them have ranked up. They never forgot that role of firefighter. Like you'll never forget that role of firefighter. But I don't think people realize that every department has that level of talent. You just have to know where it exists and you have to be able to, I guess, stoke the fire to get them out there. And you have to, you have to put them in the limelight in a sense to get them exposed to the reality of what their potentials, uh, what their potential truly is and get them out there training others so that they can make others better as they do their job every shift. Like we try to every shift ourselves. Yeah, that's, that's for sure, man. Every department has their gongo guys and then their their shit bags. They're everywhere. Oh yeah, so you just got you just gotta give them the opportunities sometimes to to show themselves, man. Hey, dude, you'd be great at this. Let's go. Let's go to show these new guys, man. You know, and uh, that's that's what I love about this job, dude. Is it's it's dynamic, and then you can have one guy that views this type of training one way and then the senior guy that's been there 25 years viewed that same uh, that same skill, that same scenario, a completely different way, but it ends up with the same result just yep. based on the timeline of your career. Both valuable pieces of information but it's it's you got to share it. You got to share it, man. The the tools for the toolbox essentially, because this the, this tool does the same thing, but it was created for a different purpose as well. It can do two things at once, basically. You can come at it from two different approaches, and that tool will still get the job done. You just have to understand that uh, you know again that's calling the audible. That's knowing when right. to go back to the toolbox and pull out a different tool for the job itself. And, that's right. and that's where I mentioned earlier, are we doing enough to prepare these incoming kids, these, these rookies, these probies, these one to five year firefighters, um, we get past that minimum standards aspect and, and you're right. That is a problem. You know, I mean, granted it is a requirement to get hired, but it is an obligation of us as, as instructors, as leaders, as the fire service in general, once we bring you into the department, we have an obligation to get you ready to go to the field. We have an obligation to get you ready to take on that task because everything you learned is great, but it's not how you're going to apply it necessarily for my agency or your agency. And you have to understand 
that is your foundation. And now we grow that foundation, start building that house that is going to reside above you as you grow your career. And I think that is something we have, we've gotten better at, but I think we could do better at. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And it's uh, really, I mean, it's up. Uh, if not the training division and the individual officers on the rig, I mean, set your expectations. Set your expectations. If the standard is, is low within your department, it doesn't have to be your standard on your rig. Raise that bar. Yeah. Raise that bar. You know? And but then don't don't be that officer or that leader that tells people what to do and doesn't mimic it. Yep. Need to lead by example. Yep. And then be out there with the guys, with the girls, and do, preach, and do. Don't just talk the talk without walking the walk. You know, and if you do, they'll read right through you. Oh, the they'll guys, see through your bullshit. They'll read right through you, man. I, uh, I, I do, I waited about 30 days after I, I worked with the guys before uh, I made any like changes to the way they were doing things. I wanted to come and see how they were doing it on their own mm-hmm. and, uh, and all. And uh, so I waited 30 days, implemented a couple changes. And then 30 days after that, I had a meeting with the crew again, a reverse meeting. Yeah. How am I doing? Yep. I met with the engineers first. Hey, honest, this is no off the record type how am I doing? How are the changes working? Do we need to change anything? What do you like? What don't you like? Sure. And it's good to get that feedback from the bottom up as well. You know, it's not just you talking down, pointing fingers, we need to do this, that, and the other. The reverse evaluation is a tool that I think a lot more officers uh, need to use all the way up the chain. You can make it anonymous. Uh, because some people are afraid to speak their, their mind on the reverse evaluation. Sure. Because of rank or whatnot, but sure, whatever. But you can only get better when you read the feedback and the quote unquote criticism if there is any. Or that's how you get better, man. You, you get feedback and then you tweak it if it's warranted, you know. Uh, if the guy's like, I don't want to talk my shirt on call, well, I'm like, well, too bad. You're talking your shirt on call. Uh, you know, but you know what I mean. I do. Realistic I do. Expectations, you know, it's, it's, it's good, man. Well, the and fact that you're giving them the opportunity to provide you the feedback that can help guide decision-making uh, in the house overall is, is very important. Uh, it's the, the Don Campbell uh, leadership gut check. Because we talked about that uh, last year in our podcast about uh, maybe it was even earlier this year that I think about it. The leadership gut check where, you know, it's important that your crews that you lead are able to get back to you and say, okay, this is how we see you as a leader. That can make you a better leader overall at the end of the day. Absolutely. I truly believe 100% of it. I even, I even told the guys, you know, we have a just got off probation. Yeah. Uh, and he worked with us, and I have like a morning meeting. If I never worked with you, we kind of have a morning meeting. This is how we do things and whatnot. Yep. And uh, I told him, I'm like, listen, man, I know you just got off probation. You're 21 years old. I don't care. I don't know everything. If there's something that I tell you to do that it does not seem right to you, or if 
you saw something that I didn't see. You need to speak up. Damn straight. Believe me, I am not going to, you're not going to get in trouble. I'm not going to put you down. We're a team. And you are helping me by pointing out things that you think I didn't see or if I didn't see something, you know. And a lot of old school officers and old school firemen, they will not tolerate that. And, and I think that's that's bad. That's very bad. Maybe that's like, I've been here a long time or I got this people. I know better this and that. No, man, we're a team. You know, we're a team and everybody brings value somehow to the team. Golly, you mean the fireman that brought us up in the service? You know, in a sense, the, the, the ironclad mentality, it's do as I say, not as I do. You have to earn your seat at the table. You don't do anything but wash dishes and scrub toilets and take the garbage out. And, you know, you're going to do it the way we want you to do it, because until you demonstrate you really, truly want to be here by doing that, you're not allowed to be here. Don't even bother sitting in a recliner. In fact, you'd be sitting out in the bay all day, you know, and that's where you belong. And that, you know what, it, 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 it's par for the course because every generation evolves and you take lessons from each of those generations that, you know, were your predecessors and you incorporate it into the, the mindset of how you want to lead uh, down the road and develop the next generation coming in behind you. And I think that's very impactful. Um, when you look at it from that aspect, because every generation brings something to the table because they all have differing experiences. Absolutely, man. I, I truly believe that everybody has some sort of experience. It may not be fire service related, sure, but really, is our job. What is the fire service? Everything service. That's what we oh. should be called. Everything service. Everything under you the know, sun. Or whatever name. Yeah, that's our job. Every. Yeah. I don't even want to say every emergency because you go to stuff that's not even an emergency. Like you and I were talking about the dude wanting you to open his medication for him. Yeah. Well, that's an emergency, right? But we go there. We do it. Somebody somebody has more experience than you in a department or another. Absolutely. So listen to the guys, value their opinion, and it'll make everything better as a team. I, I, I believe that. I truly believe that. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, there we are. I think we just hit over an hour. And uh, yeah, hour and 10. Not bad. It's a good conversation. Nice little chit chat. I want to thank you, Brother Basil, for coming on. It's uh, been a long time coming. And it just tickles me when I get those pictures. Hey, the boys are listening to the show this morning, or hey, we're doing this, or the compliments you give me because, you know, there's some days that I'll feel like I've earned them. And, and it's just refreshing to get that feedback from good brothers like you out there and to know that there is something good and, and there's value in this. And, and it means more to have brothers like you and every other brother that comes on this show to talk about their life, their experiences more than just mine, I think. It's more important to hear your story. So. Well. I, I appreciate the chit chat, man. And like always, do this. It feels like we're just having a conversation at the table, man. It's, I, I, lo- I love your podcast, man. Well, brother. Keep it going on that. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. And as always, uh, brothers, you are your brothers, your sister's keeper. Um, we need to look out for each other. It seems like the light at the end of the tunnel is even closer now than it was before because, uh, well, I mean, we're. We're evolving past this pandemic in a lot of ways. And, and don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean challenges don't exist, but we take them on together. So keep your head on a swivel, and we will certainly 
catch you on the next one. You just survived 30 minutes of online training with the Can Man Radio Show. Did you remember to train your probie today? The Can Man knows. He knows everything. When that 2 a.m. lift assist drops, the Can Man will be thinking of you in his dreams.